This is a difficult, I said this, I said this last week or two weeks ago when we were here, this is a difficult chapter. And uh, so I prayed a lot, talked to my wife about it a little bit, told her I'm going to speak on marriage this morning, I'm going to speak on slavery. They're not the same. Uh, so, but it's a difficult chapter and um, I don't want to go beyond what the Bible says. I don't want to go, and I, I do that sometimes and I apologize. I was thinking during the, during the last two weeks that the last time I talked, I did say something. We're, we're talking about the Corinthians, about freedom and the difference between license and liberty. And I, I mentioned alcohol and I mentioned smoking. And then I said a stupid thing about smoking. I said the people who smoke are stupid. I didn't say it exactly that way, but that's what I said. I said it says on the end of the package, stupid, and it doesn't. It just, it just says, you know what it says, you, but it just, it just it doesn't say you're stupid. And it, it says I'm stupid. So I, I want you to know that in, in teaching, I say things that are beyond the Bible, and I don't want to, and, but I'm just human, and I, sometimes I, I run away. My mouth gets ahead of my brain. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7. When we get to chapter 7, you remember what had taken place in the city of Corinth. Paul had established a church. They didn't have a lot of time to grow. Now he's writing them a letter. He's writing probably from Ephesus. And he is saying to them that you're carnal. They, they, he, he hears about their, their, their Christian life in the church. And he's saying to them, you're carnal, uh, you're sectarian, you're following different guys instead of just following Christ and, and being unite, united, you're babes in Christ. Um, and then evidently, evidently from what we read, we perceive that they ask him a series of questions about life in the church. And so he begins in chapter 7 to answer the, the, the questions. And we don't have the questions, but we have the answers. Kind of like Jeopardy. They give you the answer, and you have to figure out the question. And so this is, this is what we're doing when we go here. And uh, what? Well, let me just give you a little setting. In Corinthians, the church is established, and, and there are people coming from all walks of life. It was a cosmopolitan city, a seaport, so now you're going to have Jews, Greeks, Romans, probably Asians. You're, you're going to have people from all walks of life. You're going to have people who have come out of, of a sinful lifestyle because Basically, the Corinthians, uh, it was a sinful city, and so they're going to come out of, of, of pagan lifestyles, if not sinful lifestyles, and they were involved with the temple prostitutes, which are very popular there. They're, they're involved with uh, polygamy, uh, any, any number of things. Women were like chattel. The wives didn't have a standing. And so now they come in the church. And evidently one of the questions you ask them is that, is that if, and this has been a problem in, in history, and, it, and so we're going to apply it to this time. One of the problems we have is that someone, at the, let's just say the, the, the husband comes to faith in Christ and his, and his wife doesn't, 
And so he's thinking, I'm going to leave her, and maybe it's a good excuse, I'm going, to, I'm going to leave her. Or she comes to faith in Christ and her husband doesn't, and she said, I'm going to leave him because I want to walk with Christ and he's not walking that way, or she's not walking that way, and so I, I'm going to just leave them behind. And Paul's going to deal with that. He's going to, so he's going to deal with marriage, and in this context, he is dealing with the present distress. It was a time of persecution for the for Christians, and it's going to get worse in their near future. He doesn't know he doesn't know that, but he knows what's happening now, and he he warns them. And I I'm going to give you this is later in the chapter, but I want to give you the context early. So I'm just going to summarize a few verses that we get later in the chapter. He said, "This is good, good advice for the present distress." So the church is under distress. Christians are under distress. This I say, time is short. Time is short. So Christ is coming. Time is short. You, you don't have much time. And then he says this in another verse, for the next verse. For the form of this world is passing away. So he's saying, you live in context of this world, but you should be living in context of the next world. This world's passing away. It's going to, it's going to, time is short. And, and this is distressful during this time. So here's my advice during this time of distress. So you can't, so that's what, I, that's the context of how he deals with the thing. The first issue he deals with is should you remain in a marriage? Read with me verse one down through verse six. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. If that were true, and that, if that was an absolute standard, None of us would be here. We would have never gotten hatched. And so you, you understand that's so you can't just pick out verses and, and use them. But he's saying in this present distress, it, it might be a good thing if you did that. Nevertheless, see, he, he qualifies it. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and each and let each woman have her own husband. Uh, we could talk about gender issues right there and homosexual marriage, but we don't have time for that. We've already covered that in different times. Uh, in verse 3, let the husband render his wife the affection due her. And I'm reading from the New King James, that the, the affection due her. And likewise, also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body. Talk about uh, sexual interaction, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again so Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Or that Satan doesn't tempt you because you have a sexual appetite and it hasn't been fulfilled in your marriage. Verse 6, but, but I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. So he was saying to them that um, if your marriage have a right relationship with your spouse. He, he's saying, give due affection. I, I think this is really, really interesting. This used to be a young married class 30 years ago. If you may, many of you were here, and I was here, and we were young married, uh, some of us, and um, it's really interesting. I would spend a lot more time on this, but it still applies to us. If you're married today, you need to give affection. I just read an article this past week, and I I sent it over to my wife's phone so she could read it. I want to always preach to her a little bit, but I, I don't want to do it in person because it's dangerous. And, uh, <laughs> so, but this guy was he's writing this article, and he said that my marriage died from a thousand paper cuts. Um, 
and, and what and then he went on to explain that he he didn't treat his wife with affection. Uh, he didn't treat her with respect. He said that he he would leave his dishes by the sink. And he said he never realized that was a, a disrespect for her. He said it's no big deal for her to put them in the dishwasher. <laughs> and he goes on to say, and I'm describing myself, he would say, never in a thousand years would I care whether the dishes get put in the dishwasher or not. And, and he just saying, but if I had it to do over again, I realize she cares and I would respond to her care. And, but now it's too late. Now he's saying, basically what he's saying, my marriage died of a thousand paper cut. It didn't die of infidelity. It didn't die of any major problem. It died for lack of respect. It, it died for lack of affection. Um, I, I don't know if you, years ago, I'd quote James Dobson. We were young married. I'd quote James Dobson. It's still applicable to us today. Man comes home from work and his wife says to him, uh, ah, you know, the kids are driving me crazy today. You know, they set a fire in the backyard and they destroyed, they, they overflowed the bathtub and plague it and, and they've done all these things. And he says, okay, I'm going to go back there and I'm going to fix it. And she said, I don't want you to fix it. I want you to care. My wife and I have had those discussions over the years. <laughs> Don't elbow your spouse. But, you know, I'm, I'm an introvert. My wife is an extrovert. And uh, tell you the truth about life, I don't really care. I mean, I just don't, I don't care. I don't care what color she paints the house. I just don't care. I don't care how the furniture's arranged. I, I don't care about anything. She gets dings in her car and she bothers her, but I didn't do it and I don't care. It's just a car. You know, it's just a car. That's all it is. It's just a car. And so and we buy insurance for the big things. And so, you know, so, and she wants me to care about some things. And, and she hates it when I say, I don't care. And I'm trying to learn not to. Uh, maybe I'll get it before I die. But, you know, I need to care about the things she cares about. And so that's, a, that's due affection. You give due affection. Not just sexuality, but you give due affection. And that, so that's my marriage counseling this morning. And then he, it talks about uh, you give mutual sexual uh, attention, and it is a guard against immorality. Verse 7, for I wish that all men were even as I myself, Paul's single. I think he had been married at one time because if you were part of the Sanhedrin, you had to be married. The Jewish belief was that if you were an adult male and you were not married by a certain age, then you had sin in your life. Something's wrong with you. So I think we don't know what happened to his wife, If he and I believe he did have a wife at one point in time, because I believe when he says that I cast my vote against Stephen. You know, when Stephen was going to be stoned and he cast his vote against Stephen, he, if he was part of the Sanhedrin, he had to be married. And so maybe his wife has died. Maybe she left him. We do not know. And we'll find out one day in heaven. But he says this, for this present distress, remember that? That's the context. I wish that all men were even as I were, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. So it is a gift to be married. It is a gift if you're single. It is a gift uh, of God. And then he says this, 
But to the uh, verse eight, but to the unmarried, to the widow, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And he's not saying to have passionate desire, but if you can't control those passionate desires. Now remember, they're living in a sexual city. And it was easy to go to the temple and have sexual relationships with prostitutes. So he's just saying, it's better to marry. You're better to marry and get those needs met inside a marriage. Um, and then he deals with the issue of one spouse being saved and one not. 10 through 16. Now to the married I command yet not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife, but to the rest... Uh, to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. So he's speaking to their time, and it's, it's applicable to our time as well. He's saying, let her not divorce him, and let a woman who has a husband who does not believe, he's willing to live with her, let her, let her not divorce him. And then this is really interesting. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. Now, it's really interesting what that means. Uh, and you have to decide what it means for yourself. Here's what I think it means. Here's what the commentators that I read after think it means. It's not that your children are automatically saved. Now, if they're below the age of accountability, they're safe in the Lord. They're, if they die before the age of accountability, which is not a, not a set age, I think the Catholic Church says it's 12. But if, they, if that were based on what happens in the world, it should be eight or six or whatever. But, but it's not a set age, but it's their knowledge and all this thing. But here, what he's saying, I think he's saying, is that if there's a saved spouse parent in the in the marriage uh, then the grace of Christ is going to be shown the grace of Christ is going to be shown to the other spouse and they have a hope of being saved the grace of Christ is shown to the children it's modeled to the children they have a hope of being saved so he's just saying if it's possible and your unbeliever doesn't want to depart stay in the marriage don't don't ruin the marriage this is God's will for you and then he goes on, and he, verse 16, but God has called, verse 15, it, but if an unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So he's saying, uh, but if they depart, let them go. Nothing you can do about that. You just let them go, and, and you live in peace. And then he goes in verse 17, and I'm kind of going over this fast because I think there's more important thing that we get to in this chapter. But then, and I think this is it. I think this is the key to the chapter applicable to us today. Uh, and he gives a principle now. This is the principle. Verse 17, but as God has distributed to everyone, to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk or live. And so I ordained in all the churches. And then, so that's the principle. When God called you, and if you're married, stay married. If you're single, you know, if, and you're unhappy about it, uh, that's okay. So he's going to talk about uh, being a Jew or Gentile or being a slave, he's going to talk about the circumstances of life. And this is what I want to deal with very, very carefully, this principle. So listen to what he says in verse 18. 
And, and these are his examples. Was anyone called why circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. And that's what Jew, Jews were circumcised. And because of it, I don't know if you read much history, but, you know, in, in, a, in a lot of cultures, uh, they, they would actually make Jewish men drop their pants and look, see if they were circumcised or not, and, or somebody they suspected of being a Jewish person. And if they did, they persecuted them. Sometimes they just killed them. I mean, so Jews have been persecuted uh, throughout the ages, uh, and since they were established as a nation, and I've told you before, I think it's demonic. I, I think it's that uh, Satan is doing that and causes people's attitude to be toward the Jewish people that way. And But see, so sometimes if a Jewish person living in Corinth or elsewhere in the Greek world, if, or Roman world, either one, if they wanted to be, be accepted, they, they could actually, you could reverse your circumcision by, you know, I'm not going to go describe what you do, but you, it, could, it could be done over a period of time. And so he just saying, you don't need to do that. And, and, and then he, so that's one, if you're a Jew, stay a Jew. If you're a Gentile, that's okay. You don't need to become a Jew. So you just, you stay that way. Um, and then he, so he says this in verse 19, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Your nationality is nothing before God. He's not concerned about your nationality. He just, it's nothing. And what I mean is that we don't have pride of who we are. I don't mean that, but what, what he's saying is that your, your standing before God is a person created in his image. It, it, your, your background, your nationality is not significant in God's sight. It's not an issue in God's sight. I quoted in, in, when I was making the announcements in praying that, you know, God's created one blood, every nation under heaven. We're all, we're all created in the image of God. We're from one blood. And that, and that uh, makes us basically all the same. No, we don't live that way. We don't see that. But that's biblical. That's how we should see it. So he just saying, in God's sight, where you came from makes absolutely no difference. And then he says in verse 20, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. So he's repeated the principle that we have in verse 17. Verse 17, let me say it again. But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, let him walk, so are ordained in all the churches. The call is a synonym for being saved. And so you're, you're called of God to salvation. Whatever you are, wherever you are, he didn't say, he's not saying continue to live in sin. He's saying, but you don't have to change your identity. You don't have to be a different person. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to be, you don't have to conform. Um, you know, we feel that pressure sometimes. And, uh, you know, it's just so interesting. Um, we, we feel like, I, I remember getting saved as an adult and, and thinking about what I had to do and how I had to dress and how I had to present myself. And this, this was in the, <laughs> this was, this was in the age of long hair was a significant issue. Uh, you know, clothing was a significant issue and it's just really interesting when, when you look back um, about things that were significant issues that biblically there were no issue at all. Biblically, there just weren't an issue. God, and we're going to see here in just a moment um, what what Paul says God emphasizes is our personal obedience. It's our personal obedience. Now, 
we should be people with good hygiene, I, you know, best we can, you know. And that, so, but we need to be, what's, what's important is obedience. That we need to be obedient to the Lord and, and follow the Lord in all areas of life. So the principle of verse 17, each one distributed to is he called. Who distributed? God did. God, God put me in the, in the home I was born in, the, the circumstances of my early life. He, he, he did that for his purposes, and I'm to glorify him for it, even though it wouldn't be what I would chosen. And you're to do the same thing, and you're to honor him for his choosing you, and we're to walk in that choice and, and be grateful to God. Now, now he gives another illustration in verse 21. Were you called while a slave, do not be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, rather use it. He didn't say you need to remain a slave. If you can be made free, then use that, use that freedom that you have. Verse 22, for he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's free man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You are bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. Now, he's speaking to them in this conglomeration of Christians, which is true in here and in every church and throughout the world. He's speaking to them that you all came from diverse backgrounds. You all came from diverse family units. You all came from diverse races. You, you don't have to change any of that. If, if you can change for the better, uh, change. But you don't have to change it. To, to What is important is that you, you walk with God. Let each one remain with God in whatever state in which he was called. I want to... Um, I want to I want to speak about that principle for just a moment, okay? And uh, I want to the principle of remaining in our calling and being satisfied with who we are in Christ um, <clears throat> and s- slavery in- included. Slavery is an issue even in our society. Um, it is an issue worldwide, not so much in the United States, but an issue worldwide. It's an issue of our history. Uh, it manifests itself in tension today because of our history, and it was always biblically wrong. Even though, it, 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 let me just give you, a, put in the notes a couple of words. Exodus twenty-one verse sixteen, slavery. You, you, it, it's it's biblically wrong. It is a violation of another human's humanness. So it's always been biblically wrong. It's really interesting to me that it was always defended from the Bible because there is slavery in the Bible. It was always defended in the Bible. And when Christ came, he didn't abolish slavery. And when Paul came, Paul didn't abolish slavery. Peter didn't abolish slavery. And, and so people have justified it, and, but it's never been following Christ. It's never been biblical. Um, there is a slavery that happens that, that is not uh, an official slavery, but it's a, a bondage of people to other people in marriage relationships and rearing children. I mean, it, it is a, even in businesses, it is a bondage that they cannot uh, get, get out of. 
But here, so let, let me just say it in First Timothy chapter one, verse ten, in the New Testament, it is a sin. Uh, slavery is a sin. I'm not going to read those for time's sake, but talk about. But I want you to understand that what he's saying, it is not an issue in following Christ. Your circumstances in life is not an issue in following Christ. Um, we have many of us, um, myself included, we have said to the Lord, Lord, I, I would love you more. I would serve you better if this weren't so, if this weren't so, if I had their position, if I had their education, if I had their money, if I had their privilege, if I had their position. And pastors deal with that as well. Everybody deals with that. We deal with it in our personal life. We deal with it in our professional life. We deal with it in our social life. We, that, that is the temptation of the, of the weakness of the flesh is that we deal with our place in life and, and, and see something different. Grass is greener on the other side. And here, here's, here's what the, the scripture said. In verse 21, I think um, we just read, I'm going to read to you again and then talk about it just a little bit more. Verse 21, where you call what a slave, do not be concerned about it, but if you can make free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Uh, likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You're bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. So many applications of this. Somebody, people ask me from time to time when I'm talking to people about theology, they say, are you a Calvinist? I'm not a Calvinist. I'm a Christian. I don't follow Calvin. I follow the Bible. I follow Christ. Uh, you know, are, are you a Spurgeon? You know, I, I'm not a Spurgeonite. I follow Christ. I, I, I believe what those guys believed, but I don't follow them. I follow Christ. I don't follow Paul. I follow Christ. You know, you can, you can read books on Pauline theology or Jonathan theology. John, however you say John's name in the adjective, whatever, adverb or whatever it is. Uh, we don't, we, you know, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So Paul was basically saying, follow me if I'm following Christ. If I'm not, don't follow me. But you're, we're to follow Christ. And, and so we're to do that in our lives regardless of our status in life. Regardless of where we work or who we're married to or whatever our status in life, whatever our nationality, we're to follow Christ. Uh, we're free in Christ. I am free in Christ. I'm exactly what Christ wanted me. I was born in exactly the family he wanted me to born in for my, my training. My training in Patience and my training in detesting sin, my training in uh, uh, giving up sin. He, 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 I mean, that's and, and the same is true with you. Um, and so, uh, again, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to go into all these things, but you know, we we do these things. Uh, I think about Onesimus in the Scripture. You remember he escaped from Philemon. He's a slave during this time, during this very time. And right after this, year, probably a year or two after this, and, he, and he, he meets, somehow he meets Paul in Rome. Maybe he had heard Paul speak before in uh, Philemon's home. And so he meets Paul in Rome and he, he becomes a Christian. And now he's a free man in the Lord and he's a free man in Rome. But Paul sends him back. That's really powerful. Paul sends him back. 
Paul's, Paul tells him, you have a moral, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, you have, you have an obligation to go back. And, and then he writes Philemon this letter and tells Philemon, you have a moral obligation to do what's right toward Onesimus. But he said, I can't command that. But he said, you owe me your own salvation. <laughs> Preachers do that a lot. <laughs> Preachers say, if you love the Lord, you do this. If you love the church, you do this. <laughs> so Jimmy goes and gets on top of a building and Christmas in action and tears the roof off. <laughs> and I wouldn't get up there. <laughs> you know, you understand, you, we just can't, you can't do that. You, you just can't do that. Um, we feel those pressures of life about our status in life. Do we not? Um, and so we're, we're the Lord's free man. But then he says in verse 23, You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. We, we are to walk with Christ. Here, here's, here's my application to all of us. I'm just going to run through it real quick. Uh, we, we have these thoughts. I've mentioned them already. I could serve God better and be more fruitful, productive in Christ's service if I had different circumstances. If I had not born into a family, raised as a Christian, uh, if I'd started earlier in life, I had more money, didn't have to work so much, had a spouse who was more spiritual, if I knew the Bible better, if I didn't have this problem or that problem, I could walk with Christ. Here's what G. Campbell Morgan wrote. I think this is so good. Now, it's a paragraph, so I'm going to, I'm going to read it quickly, and you listen hard and think deeply. He said, the ultimate value of these words about being free in Christ and remain in your status of who you are, uh, not your status of sin, but who you are. He said, they teach us, these verses teach us that the circumstances are of minor importance and saintship. They neither help nor hinder the believer in realizing all the grace and truth of character or the purity and strength and service, which are the outcome of sainthood. The secret of life is that it is to be lived with God. When that is so, the fellowship with God transfigures the circumstances and transmutes the forces which hinder into forces that help. I can remain in the company of God and so make the circumstances of life the occasion of manifesting His glory. Now that is spirituality. That is spirituality. You know, it's really interesting. If you're reading in, I think it's James. You could correct me if you, but I think it's James. He said, you know what? You don't know what spirituality is? You, you, you visit the fatherless and the, widow, and the widows. That's it. That's it. You just, I mean, you go take care of people. That's spirituality. Spirituality is not what, how much theology I know. It's not, you know, how long I pray or whether I pray or not. It's, it's not, it's not knowledge. It's my heart toward God for, for Christ's sake. It's my heart toward people for Christ's sake. Whether it's, whether it's showing affection to my spouse or whether it is uh, loving other people who are different than I am. It, it, that's spirituality. That's boiled down to a nutshell. James is pretty straightforward. Basically, he said, you don't care about that, you may not be a Christian. So that's pretty straightforward. So here's our application for us. Um, 
We know people, I know people, who have gone to prison and, uh, and came out of prison and said, that was grace to me. That was what brought me to Christ. I, I've known people who've gone through the death of a family member, and instead of becoming bitter, they become spiritual and toward the Lord. They, they become dependent upon God, in a sense. Uh, many of us can say that the trials we've been through, physically, emotionally, spiritually, it made us dependent upon the Lord. Physically, when we go through trials, we, we realize that we are not in control of anything, and we praise God that He loves us. We praise God that He's going to take us to heaven one day when we die. So Paul is teaching that the eternal is more significant in your life today than the temporal. The eternal is more significant. We just realize it. It's more significant, our walking with Christ and honoring Him, looking to heaven and being with Him without sin, than it is our circumstances today. Our circumstances ought to cause us to look toward heaven. And we all have circumstances. And I want you to understand, I'm not minimizing yours. I don't minimize mine. We've been through some deep water in our lives. And I'm not minimizing that for a bit. But, but again, we need to recognize spiritually that we're just on a journey. And the journey's end is the face of Christ. We're going to see Him one day and dwell in His presence and have a fullness of God within us that, that's undescribable. Um, and that's what we need to have, to have hope in. Now I'm going to take the rest of the time that we have, and I'm going to make an application to the, for the church. And, I, and I'm very careful. I want you to be, I want you to listen very carefully. Churches are criticized, and I've, I've heard it in local radio talk shows. Churches are criticized because of what we're not doing in the world. You know, that we're not fixing things in, in the, the racial issues. We're not fixing things in the drug issues. We're not fixing things in homelessness. We're not fixing things in poverty. We're not, we're not fixing things. And churches are being criticized, Christian churches, very, very strongly. And, and I just want you to understand, here's the application of that principle. That is not right. That's not church's responsibility. Now, it's mine as a Christian, and it's yours as a Christian, but it's not the church's responsibility. What is the responsibility of the church? The responsibility of the church, Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight, that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not in this realm. What is his kingdom? His kingdom is of the Spirit, and His kingdom is coming one day, and all those issues I just mentioned will be fixed. They'll never be an issue again, and they'll be fixed in that day. So what, what's the church's responsibility? Your, our pastor just went through it uh, the first of the year, Matthew chapter 8, 28, and the, the latter part of the chapter. We're to make disciples. We're to preach the gospel, make disciples. You know, I, I, I think um, Jesus said this. Let me, let me read this. Let me stay in my notes so I don't get carried away. But Jesus said to Luke 19 that I came to seek and save that which was lost. Now, what was lost? Man's relationship to God was what was lost. 
And that met and that relationship with God that was lost created these problems. It created racial division. It, it created uh, the drug problem. It, it created the sexual revolution. It, it created uh, poverty. It created all of these things. But what was lost is man's relationship to God. And Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And that's to be very closely. And the church's responsibility is to preach the gospel because that is the only thing that will solve these problems. Money can't do it. Programs can't do it. But when a person's heart, one at a time, when a person's heart is changed, I strive today to be um, uh, to be, uh, I don't know, I, I don't have this in my notes, I don't know the word to use. I, I strive not to be prejudiced. I was born prejudiced, I live prejudiced. That is our nature, we're prejudiced. I've always told you, I'm prejudiced against tall people, most of all. You know, but I'm, we just live with the prejudice. If you didn't grow up in the neighborhood, I did. If you don't speak with the same accent, thank goodness you don't, that I do. You know, we, we have this prejudice. And it's inborn within us. You know why? Because that which was lost is the gospel, is a relationship to Christ. And because of it, every relationship we have is damaged. Every aspect of life is damaged. The whole world groans and travails until sin is taken away. This burden of sin. Every, every bit of the world is cursed. And the only thing that fixes it is the gospel. It's when a person believes in Christ. It is Christ in me that, that challenges my prejudice. It is Christ in me that challenges my pride. It is Christ in me that challenges my heart. When I see people in poverty, when I see people in the drug area, when I see people in prison, it is Christ in me that when I see racial issues, that I can love someone who's not like me. It's Christ in me that does that. I can't do it, but it's Christ in me. So, so in your mind and in your thinking, don't ever think the church is not fulfilling its responsibility. Now, many churches are not. Many churches are trying to fix those problems. And they're doing it without preaching the gospel. And it's never, ever going to work. Only salvation makes a person different. Only salvation makes a society different. Nothing's going to work until Christ comes. Okay, I'm going to skip, right, I'm going to, skip to the end and, and give you a summary uh, of the end. Uh, I think that was the most important thing in the chapter to me, but here, here's the summary in the end. He goes on and he talks about uh, uh, about marriage again, and he talks about, uh, you know, that um, uh, if, if you have a virgin daughter, you know, and during this present distress, maybe if you're a father, don't, maybe don't let her get married, but if... if if she insists, you know, just, it's okay if you want her to. So, you know, he's just saying, you've got to be careful. You're living in this present distress. And I, these verses are in, that I read to you at the beginning are in there about this present distress. And then he comes to the, verse 29, and I'm, I'm skipping to there. Verse 29, this is what he says. But this I say, brethren, the time is short so that you fail with those who have wives should be as though they had none. Doesn't mean you ignore them, but it means that you have a different focus 
Those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away, but I want you to be without care. So he's saying, here, here, he's saying, Marriage is not all there is of life. He's saying, he's saying that. I'm just giving you a summary now. I can't develop it. And then he's saying, don't overly weep. Life can be painful. Life is painful. We live in a sin curse. I'm sin cursed. Life is painful. But don't overly weep. We have hope. Don't overly weep. Not long ago, I had this illustration I want to give you, and I'm going to give you it real quick. We, we watched Charles Dickens' uh, Great Expectation. Do you remember? Uh, it, st- it starts with the, the, the hero is a guy named Pip. Uh, you remember this? It, you can find it on Prime if you have Prime Dead. Anyway, uh, so, so what happens is that there's this woman, and her name is Mrs. Miss Haversham. Haversham, if I'm pronouncing it right. And she was rejected at the altar. And when Pip goes into her house, he sees she's still wearing a wedding gown. Years have gone by. She's wearing a wedding gown, all yellow with age. She, at the altar, she lost a shoe. She's still wearing one shoe. All these years have gone by. And, and, and you go into the dining room, and it's set for the banquet. It's set for the wedding banquet. The wedding cake is still there. There are mice and roaches and spiders and cobwebs. It is all the same. And what happens now, she has adopted a daughter, and the plot is, is that her, this daughter, she's training this daughter to break the heart of a man because she was stranded at the altar. And the application for us that I want to make to you is that I know Christians in the church who've done that. Now, they haven't worn the same dress or pants or suit but they have let some tragedy in their life dominate their years and years and years, never trusting in the grace of Christ. We have let our upbringing, we had let our parents neglect. And I've, I've told you in time about my upbringing to some degree, and, and it, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. And, but, and I know people who've let that dominate their life. They let it dominate their thing. They become bitter. And they're bitter in the end. You're, if you're a bitter person, you're bitter toward God. You may think, I'm bitter toward people. But no, you're bitter toward God. Because God has said to you, abide in whatever calling you are called and follow me. You're a free man in Christ. Don't let that dominate your life. And then he said this. He said, don't overly rejoice. We don't overly weep. Don't overly rejoice. You know why? Because we still live in a sin-cursed world. Uh, I mean, rejoice, but don't overly rejoice. We're to, we're to be people of joy because of Christ, but don't, don't overly rejoice. John Phillips says this. No one is encouraged by or take, or take seriously a person who makes a joke about everything. And then the last thing, don't put your hope in possessions. You're, don't if, if you buy, don't be as those who buy. If you possess, don't be as those who possess. He's not saying we don't buy things and we don't possess things, but that's not our hope. It's not our satisfaction. I, I don't know about you. I've told you this a dozen times over the years. I grew up very poor. You know, I'm talking about myself. You know, I mean, I hope you feel sorry for me for what I've said this morning. <laughs> so my background, my poverty, you know, I grew up very poor. And so things were very important. Things were very important. 
Um, you know, I never throw anything away. I just can't. And, th- and things are, good thing I married a person who can. So things are very important. And, and you know, and, but my problem is, is that I, before I became a Christian, I was dependent on it. I was dependent upon those things. It, it gave me a safety net. It gave me a security. Well, Christ is to do that. Christ is to do that. We can't let our training or our education or we can't let what we own, we can't, we can't be as those that that possession is what identifies us. Uh, it's not. It's Christ. Well, our time is all gone. And uh, I, I, I'm going to be very personal. I want you to pray for me. I'm going to have a little minor surgery this week and be out. Probably won't be here next week. But uh, if you'd pray for me, I'd appreciate it. Pray for my wife and patience. Um, <laughs> so pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We, 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 I pray this morning that this principle we've talked about, that it would help us and, and the circumstances of our life, not just this week, but the rest of our life, Lord, that we'd recognize that we're, we are people who are as you made us. And Lord, we're in the position where you put us and we want to we want to honor you. We want to follow you. We want to uh, to grow in grace and, and Lord, to glorify your name. So let, let these circumstances we're in cause us to cry out to you. Lord, not for a change, but for grace. Lord, give us grace, and we'll praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, God bless you. We'll see you in church.